Good evening. Good evening. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, tonight from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 to uh, verse 33, and that can be found on page 969 of your church Bibles. It's page 969. So from verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What am I saying with this boastful confidence? I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am, I am speaking as a fool. I dare also, uh, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King uh, Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Amen. Now, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, at verse 18. And uh, you've got a rather large um, service sheet tonight. That's to do with my inability to work the printer. But it might just uh, become a new norm because there's more space to write. Okay, we've got some really um, powerful and uh, relevant Bible material this week and next as Paul comes towards the end of the letter. Now, Paul writes this letter um, included in our Bibles as 2 Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, a church and a people that he loves. And Paul is concerned about them. You heard, as Paddy read, 
Just that reference from the Apostle. Verse 28, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And uh, the Apostle Paul, at great personal cost to him, has written this letter and other letters to the church in Corinth because the people there have been seduced or persuaded by an approach to ministry that is very different from the Apostles. And indeed, in Corinth, Paul and his ministry is being roundly criticized and undermined. And the form of ministry that has persuaded the Corinthians is different from the apostles in content, style, and character. Now, we don't have time to go back and look at his exposure of that, but in content, I think the, the heart of it, and we get this more from 1 Corinthians than 2 Corinthians, is that the simple Bible or biblical gospel, the simple gospel that Christ died for our sins, had become regarded by those in leadership in the church in Corinth as lacking wisdom, sophistication, indeed regarded as foolish. Different in content, different in style, oratory, impressiveness, comparison between the ministers, and different also in character, a self-centeredness and a boasting in success or worldliness, if you like, in the church. Now, Paul counters all of this by appealing to the Corinthians, calling them back to authentic ministry. And as we listen to Paul's appeal to the Corinthians, I want us to listen, to really listen, To really listen as if Paul, and he is through God's word, is appealing directly to us, writing to us as a church tonight, appealing directly to us, asking us, is our ministry authentic? Now, by ministry, that includes what people like me do, ministers. Ministry is what elders do. Ministry is what small group leaders do. Ministry is what the people who lead our practical teams, cleaning, catering, do. Ministry is what our musicians do, our children's team. Ministry is taking 15 little ones away to Lendrick Muir for the weekend and surviving children's group leaders, administration. Ministry is what we all do. Ministry is what we do in the church, outside of the church, in our homes. Is our ministry authentic? Now, before answering that question from the passage in the Bible, there is an important principle we need to affirm. This question has been raised in some of the weeks in Corinthians. And the principle I want us to affirm, and you'll see it there on the sheet, is that what Paul says is authentic ministry is what God says is authentic ministry. 
Because if our conclusion is this is the Apostle Paul's slant on ministry, and that's just him, well, that is exactly to put ourselves in the position of those in the church in Corinth that are saying that is not real ministry. The assumption that Paul is making and that we are making is that what Paul says authentic ministry is, is what God says authentic ministry is. And therefore, the final part of that logic or that continuum is therefore what authentic ministry is, what God says it is. Now, a huge amount hangs on this. An enormous amount hangs on how we consider the authority of God's word. Especially at times like this in the West, when the culture hits the church, it's so important. What authority do the Apostles Paul's words um, have? Let me just, you might want to scribble down these references and follow up on them later. 1 John chapter 1, you've got plenty of room to write them up on the sheet later. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Let me just read that, and we'll turn to a couple in a minute. That which was from the beginning, which we and the Apostle John is writing on behalf of all the apostles, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. Just turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, page 901. This is the Lord Jesus addressing his disciples, the future apostles of the church, the night before his death. These things, this is John 14, verses 25 and 26, page 901. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you apostles all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In other words, the Lord Jesus is saying to his future apostles, and if Paul is included later on as an apostle, Jesus meets him personally as he converts him on the road to Damascus. The Lord Jesus is saying is that your words will be my words. That's exactly what he's saying. And there are other references, for example, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. You could look that up uh, later on. Now, 
What these and many other Bible references are saying is that what the apostles wrote, in effect, the New Testament scriptures, has the authority of Jesus. The Lord Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, inspired them to write. And that is why we refer to the Bible as God's Word or Jesus' Word. Because that's exactly what it is. It is God's Word. Implications. That for the church, the Bible is the only rule of faith and life. What is written in the Bible is the truth. Everything is determined by the Bible. And so what the apostles say the gospel is, is what God says the gospel is, and so is what the gospel is. What the apostles say the Christian life is, is what God says the Christian life is, and so is what the Christian life is. And on our subject, what the apostles say is authentic ministry is what God says is authentic ministry. And so is what authentic ministry is. And everything hangs on this. There is no more important issue in our day in the church, especially as the church and the gospel is coming under pressure. Will we do what the Bible says? Will we model our churches and ministry on what the Bible says? And really the question that we are asking is what or will we do what God says? And you see, if the church says we are led by God and that is different from the word of God, the church cannot be being led by God. Because what the Bible says is what God says. It's the same thing. And the New Testament is at pains to establish that. So back to 2 Corinthians with that principle in place. Because it's very important that we don't listen to the teaching of the Apostle Paul and think that is his teaching and not the teaching of God. What Paul says about authentic ministry is what God says here in 2 Corinthians. Moreover, it is modeled in Paul's life as an apostle. Moreover, it is consistent with what the other apostles say and how they live. And most of all, it is entirely consistent with the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is consistent. The New Testament is consistent. The Bible is the inspired word of God. It is God's word, God's revelation to us. And when it clashes with the culture, as is the case, increasingly so in the West, then the church is on a perilous path if it sets aside God's word to accommodate the culture. And the lie that is spun is that we need to do that to be relevant or that God is leading the church in fresh ways. And the hubris of the Western church declining as it looks to the eastern part of the globe 
which is growing rapidly, is that we know best and God knows less. But the arguments to set aside the Bible are so persuasive, so powerful. Worldly arguments are because they are the sound bites and spin of the father of lies, the devil. They are laced with temptation. They are laced with popularity. A better hearing, a less costly ministry, a more successful ministry. What is the price, though? The price is disobedience of God. And more fundamentally, well, not more fundamentally, just alongside that, is the loss of divine power. Now, not worldly power. You can fill a building and call it a church, but it can be devoid of divine power. The power of God to transform lives. And so as a church, and all of us engaged in ministry, which is us all, let us listen to Paul's appeal for authentic ministry as God's appeal. For the pattern of ministry and content and style and character, that is the means of the release of divine power through the church. And let's not presume that our ministry is authentic. Now, three spotlights to shine. Number one, no place for boasting. Now, as uh, Paddy read, surely Paul is boasting. <laughs> Isn't that the language he uses? Yes, it is, but he is speaking sarcastically. Why? I think to shock the Corinthians so as to get a hearing. They are so used to hearing people boasting about their ministry. They're so used to hearing stuff like, I've planted X number of churches or trained X number of gospel workers, spoken at these pastors' conferences. I have an online following. I lead a church of... Which is sad to see. Sometimes the things that churches look for on the CVs of would-be applicants. That is the kind of rhetoric they are hearing, and it's how they are beginning to think about and speak about ministry. Just allow yourself to ask the question, is that sometimes how we think about ministry being effective? Let's get this person to come and speak. Have you listened to uh, him now, that is not to question either visionary or strategic leadership, for there is no one more visionary than strategic than the Apostle Paul, nor is it to question giftedness. There is be no one more gifted as a speaker than the Lord Jesus. It is, though, to question, to expose, boasting about it. And so to shock the Corinthians as to get a hearing, Paul boasts about his ministry and so demonstrates what a foolish thing that is to do. Paddy, you read this uh, really well with uh, a note of sarcasm in your reading. It's hard just to, to capture this, uh, the tone of it, but let me try and do that 
uh, for us. Just read again from verse 16 of chapter 11. I repeat, Paul says, let no one think me foolish. He's very direct. Remember last week when Adam was showing us, what did Paul call these false teachers? He said they were in the league of Satan. He's very, very strong. Now he says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. Even if you do think me foolish, well, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority. So I'm going to boast because that's the language you understand. I'm a fool to do it. Since many boast according to the flesh, not the spirit, I'm going to boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise. I mean, your heads are down looking at your Bibles. I bet in that church meeting people's heads were down. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or put on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I'm too weak to be like you. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. And what he does now is he, he boasts in the way they are boasting. Am I a Hebrew? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Here's my family tree. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Stop, Paul. I'm talking like a madman. Let's just dip into next week's passage, chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. I must go on boasting, he says, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on. And he speaks about how he saw this extraordinary revelation of a man taken up to the second heaven. And there's nothing wrong with him seeing that revelation. What's wrong is him standing up and telling people that's what's wrong. Verse 5 of chapter 12, On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. You see, the apostle knows that if he boasts of these special revelations that are given to him, which are, are true, then people will come to hear Paul. And not God. Authentic ministry has no place for boasting. And the question is, are we authentic? I think it's a really important question to ask in our hearts. Those of us in ministry. And how we think of ministry. Second. God's divine, this is a sort and succinct heading. It's just extraordinary, though, the truth here, and frightening. I find it frightening. Hope you do too. That God's divine power to change lives, to transform the culture, rests upon, remember God works through human messengers, God's divine power rests upon and is experienced and demonstrated in the context of human frailty and weakness.
And in the middle of his speech, Paul changes tack. Instead of boasting about the kind of stuff that the Corinthians think makes ministry powerful, Paul provocatively starts boasting about his frailty and his weakness. Now remember, boasting about anything is wrong. It's wrong to boast about frailty and weakness. But he's trying to make a point. He's trying to to, to, to rest this congregation. And, and think back to that verse, and we'll come to it at the end. Um, Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It matters. It matters so much. So verses 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And he can't keep going with this. He said, I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. You can hear in the church meeting some of these super apostles, the, the, the popular figures of the day saying, he's a fool, don't listen to him, don't listen to him. Five times, Paul says, I received at the hands of the Jew the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city. It goes on and on. Verse 27, In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, without food and cold and exposure, and apart from all of that, the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? If I must boast 30, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And here's the pièce de résistance. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding it. So Paul went to plant a church in Damascus. They tried to stop him, so he ran away. He ran away. Now, what's the point Paul is making? That God's divine power rests on and is experienced and demonstrated in the context of human frailty and weakness. Let me just try and go as far as the Bible goes. When God acts in supernatural power, he deliberately works to make sure that those through whom he is at work appears weak and frail. Now, you've got to draw a distinction here between what might sound and look powerful and what this is talking about is supernatural power. That when God acts in that way, He deliberately works to make sure that those through whom he is at work appear or are weak and frail. Let me personalize it. God deliberately acts to make sure you appear weak and frail or that you are weak and frail when he is at work through you in his power so that it is evident the power is his and the glory is his. 
It needs to be evident to you as you exercise ministry, and it needs to be evident to those who are experiencing it. And we need to evaluate ministry as authentic with that principle in our hearts. Now, you see why it's frightening and alarming what you're signing up to. Now, if there is one note sounded in this letter more than any other, that, that would be it. God's divine power rests upon his experience and demonstrate in the context of human frailty. Let me just take a moment to show you that. Um, just so that you see, it's not just a note sounded at the end of the letter. Go back to chapter 1. Have a look in your Bible just so you can see it. this is what it says. Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now just clock the obvious parallel there. We know lots of people serving in Asia. Time and time again, when you meet them, or when you hear for them, and when you see them, and you sense that, Utter despair, even. Burdened. But God let that or made that happen to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. I wanted to use an illustration for this, but can you get me a plastic cup, Jane? Is that okay? I just no, no, don't go that way. Go that way, kitchen. Oh no, the table. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's a great illustration I heard in the sermon this week. So it's better done live without the request for the cup. I find it helpful. Thank you, Jane. I think this is spot on. What's a jar of clay? A jar of clay is the basic crockery you get in Sainsbury's or Tesco. Who's fit for ministry? And what does ministry do to you? That's what it does. That's exactly what the illustration is. It breaks you. That's normal. But that's where God's power is manifested. We have this treasure in guards of clay. We are afflicted in every way, hard-pressed but not crushed. Not quite so crushed as that. Perplexed. How many of you look at your diary and think, how am I going to do it? How am I going to make headway? How am I going to witness to that person in my office 
when I've got back-to-back meetings and targets and stuff like that, we're at a loss. But not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. I listened to an interview with Anthony Joshua, number three heavyweight in the world, apparently now on his comeback fight. And I thought of this uh, text. Uh, The interviewer didn't think of this text. Struck down but not destroyed. Knocked down but never knocked out. That's spot on in ministry. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal bodies. Death is at work but life is in you. Now the weakness is most clearly seen in our mortality, which is the rest of chapter 4 and on into chapter 5. What an encouragement that is, that ministry is not over when you grow old and your body is weak. Think of Dick Anderson, who's now with Jesus. After numerous TIAs, When he came here on a Sunday night, he radiated the power of God in his frailty. And you were blessed to sit beside him. Chapter 12, verse 9, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And you see, these verses must not be prized out of their context because they are so precious when God has determined to bring weakness and frailty into your life for the sake of the outworking of his power on the earth. And where is it seen most clearly of all Well, we'll get to this, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. For he, Jesus, was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Now, the question, as we move to the last point, is do we really believe this? And I think that's our a really important question. Do we really believe that God's divine power rests upon and is experienced and demonstrated in the context of human frailty and weakness? And suddenly, the challenge of Paul's teaching gives way to liberation. For is it not wonderfully liberating and reassuring as we come to terms with what our conscience tells us all of the time, that we are weak. And that's not just physical weakness. We'll see that next week. The thorn in Paul's flesh, God allowed it to happen. It's a messenger from Satan. It might be temptation that assailed Paul all his life in one respect. And he fought it. You know, there's a world of a difference between not fighting sin and fighting sin. Fighting sin is growth in godliness. 
Might it be that God is allowing Satan to send that temptation into your life day after day after day so that you are never, ever sure and certain and confident in your ministry? And every day you say, I am only doing this by God's grace. God deliberately acts to make sure we are weak and frail when he is at work in his power so that it is evident to us and to those to whom we minister that the power is his and the glory is his. Third, authentic ministry is selfless, Sacrificial love for the church and contentment in accepting the experience of weakness and hardship that comes with it. That's even worse than number two. Verse 28 is kind of set apart in the text. I think Jay was persuasive in our prep for this that given what's going on in the rest of the letter, when Paul says, verse 28, apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You know, that is a big part of the Apostle Paul's ministry, a big burden he carries, his concern for churches, for other ministers like Corinth. Just think of the cost to Paul of writing this letter. Why not just say nothing? Now, the applications to those of us as ministers, elders in a church... Selfless, sacrificial love for the church. Small group leaders, selfless, sacrificial love. Ministry team leaders, whether in Bible teaching or in practical ways, selfless, radically selfless. Sacrificial love for Christ's church. And much more on this next week, but the cost of ministry, authentic ministry, is real. And there are three things that can happen. That does happen. I remember Don Carson who knows everything, was asked at a conference, how do you avoid a crisis in your ministry? And his answer was, leave now. Of course that's right, isn't it? The times that were crushed or beleaguered, but the worst danger of all is that we become resentful and bitter. Why is this so hard? Let me give you the last verse from next week's passage as we close chapter 12, uh, verse 10. And we'll spend a lot of time on this next week. For the sake of Christ that I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Quietly content. Not speaking about Sufferings, and so Paul is only doing that here to, to, to rest them, 
And you can almost feel that in that church meeting, when Paul speaks like that, he has, because the Spirit of God is with him, and as he speaks of weakness, the people, we pray that people would be changed and convinced and won over, quietly content. And if there is cost brought to your life, such that God can work with power, if there is selfless, sacrificial love for the church, glad that we are able to share in the ministry and experience of Jesus. Authentic ministry is selfless, sacrificial love for the church and contentment in accepting the experience of weakness and hardship that comes with it. Are we authentic? Do we really believe this? I want to conclude with this, and I've wrestled over whether to say it or not, but I'm going to say it because it's true. I came in on Friday to the office and found Jay weeping. Just burdened by Turkey, by Syria, by the death of the child in Barimur, by his friend who was a pastor, who is a pastor for that school in Epsom, and bearing dozens of your burdens on his heart. Should that make you evaluate his qualifications for ministry? Or should it quietly reassure you that in him you have an authentic minister of the gospel? And that's just normal. And that's how God's power is manifest. And it's hugely liberating. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these marvelous, marvelous words in the Bible to affirm us in what is authentic and to expose what is false. And so easily we can get sucked into and persuaded by assessing ministry, whether our own ministry or that of others in worldly ways. But you will not have it other than your way. And supremely, of course, is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most gifted, visionary, dynamic person who has ever lived, who had equality with God, and yet made himself a servant for sinner's sake, and was humble and accepted gladly the burden that you placed upon him for the sake of the salvation of others. Lord, help us to accept our weaknesses, our frailties and our struggles, the thorns in our flesh, 
that we have perhaps pleaded for you to take away, but you deem it not wise to do so. And we pray that in our weakness and in our frailty, it would steal upon our hearts and minds that maybe you have rendered us such because it is your desire and design to work with power through our weak lives to bring men and women and boys and girls to saving faith, to say things that need to be said that are hard, to love selflessly and sacrificially when others have grown tired of it or cynical to do it. Render to us, Lord, as a church here, before we think about anyone else, authentic through and through. Lord, bless and encourage Jay as we thank you for him and for his family and bringing them to us and blessing us through them. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.